This morning we're going to be in John chapter 12, so I invite you to turn there with me, please. Again, we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus' triumphal entry, as it's often called, uh, into the city of Jerusalem. And this coming off the hills of his uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, and there his uh, time at the house of Lazarus. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with this text. Lord Jesus, as we come to uh, this bit of your word, that you would guide us through it, that you would help us with it, that you would use it to convict us of the sin in our lives, those things that separate us from you, those things that, uh, that we hold as idols, that you would crush them, uh, that you would use your word to show us the truth, show us your gospel, lead us to that truth that we might show others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this text on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it made me think of when I was younger and liked uh, the sport, if you want to call it that, of professional wrestling. Uh, If you're fans of professional wrestling, you don't have to tell anybody. It's okay, we know. Uh, Everyone at some point has watched it and likes it, and everybody knows what it is, and uh, everybody knows that it's not real, right? But it doesn't dismiss the fact that the men and women who do that are tremendous athletes and they're able to put on a great show. And so when I was a kid, it was, it was really convincing to me that the stories were real and that there were real bad guys and real good guys and there was real and serious conflict with these people, with all these large people. And it was a big deal. And so some of my favorite parts as a kid, was when there was a match between maybe a a noted good guy and a bad guy, and it was like the main event, and the bad guy was maybe winning by cheating, or or maybe a bunch of the bad guys came in the ring and started beating up on the lone good guy that was down in the ring, and it would be like six on one, and you would think that all hope was lost and it would be horrible. But then all of a sudden, this music would start playing, and it was the hero's music. And he would run into the ring, and he would like lay waste to all the bad guys, and there would be this massive applause, and it was just a great thing. You know, this music would come on, and it signaled to you that victory was close at hand. Very soon, the bad guy's reign was going to be over, at least until next week. And you had this whole new progression of story happening. And so in our passage today... We, can't, we have that kind of victory procession. I mean, Jesus doesn't come into, uh, into Jerusalem to, like, I am a real American or anything like that, like Hulk Hogan or anything. Um, but he does ride in on a donkey and into Jerusalem where people meet him and victoriously lead him in as he comes into Jerusalem where he will soon die. And so as he comes in, again, he's greeted by this parade of sorts. People welcome him as the victor, as their savior. And so as we look at this passage, through this idea of victory, I want to particularly hone in on this idea that we see here in the passage where we're given this prophecy from Zechariah, and the beginning of this prophecy tells us to fear not, because our king is coming. And I want to look at that with two points, the prophecy of victory, and then, secondly, the futility of the opposition. 
And so with that, let's stand together as we read the text. John chapter 12, verses uh, 12 through 19. John chapter 12, starting at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, Then they remembered that the things that had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had heard what he had done, or that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So this idea of victory processions, just for a little background, uh, victory processions have been around for as long as there have been victories, practically. Um, But there are a few things about this one that I think we should look at before we jump into the text here. First, again, this is Passover. So there are lots of people. Josephus, who's a uh, New Testament era historian, said that there may have been as many as two million people in the area at the time of Passover. That's a lot of people. Very busy place. And, you know, modern cities tend to build up, and so it's easy to hide two million people, but back then it wouldn't have been. Everybody was spread out. And so, again, it isn't to say that everyone was there watching there on the street that day, watching Jesus riding into the city, but seeing how Jesus' reputation was probably at its peak at this time, and the sheer number of people that were in that area, this is likely a fairly large group when we think about this. And secondly, the palm branches that the people waved, it says that they gathered palms. And in other, uh, in other gospel right, uh, stories, we, this, this is in all four gospels, by the way. In other gospel narratives, we get this idea that they're waving the palm branches. They're even laying their coats down. These palm branches were historically a Feast of Booths thing. Remember we talked about the Feast of Booths and they would take palm branches? But after this time of the uh, Maccabean revolts, we talked about that a few weeks ago, they began using these palms to symbolize victory over their enemies. And so for the Jewish people, this symbolized victory. This symbolized, here comes their victorious Savior riding into town. And so the general idea was that, that Jesus was a military savior. He's going to deliver us from our enemies. They believed that God was going to send them some sort of military deliverer, just as he had done in the past. And God had done this in the past, right? David. Think about David. He was a military deliverer. Cyrus. Uh, Simon Maccabeus, who's not in Scripture, but he was their military deliverer from the Seleucid Empire. And so they even wanted to declare Jesus their king, right? Reminiscent of the kings of old, making him 
making us think back to like 1 Samuel when they demanded a king from the Lord. They really saw their deliverance in Jesus, but not in the way that he had planned to give it to them. And so that brings us to this first point, the prophecy of victory. So again, we had this large crowd gathered. Many had heard that Jesus was going to be there. This is Passover. Since the times of Josiah, the king Josiah, the Jewish people were no longer allowed to celebrate Passover wherever they were. They actually had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so this was a large event. And so Jesus is riding into town. And as he plans to enter into town, he has his disciples gather this mount for him, this special kind of mount. It's not just any mount, but it's one that would fulfill prophecy. And so we don't get that story here in John, so let's turn to Matthew chapter 21 real quick. Matthew 21. And I'm actually just going to read this narrative from Matthew's perspective so that we can get a a nice rounded view here. Matthew 21. And I'll start at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fill what was spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did what Jesus had, had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, and, and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so, again, as we look at this text here in John chapter 12, there's a whole lot for us to look at. We have this prophecy from Zechariah. We have the fact that Jesus is riding in on a donkey. We have all these different things to look at, and so we're just going to kind of take, take this a little bit by bit. And so first I want to look at this prophecy from Zechariah there in verse 15. Zechariah was a prophet, and his ministry was after the time of exile for the Jews, and during the time of, in Israel, which where they were rebuilding the cities, and they were rebuilding its temple there in Jerusalem. And so Zechariah's primary message was a call to repentance for Israel, whose recent complacency had led to the stoppage of the building of the temple and its rebuilding effort, and, and had led to the encroachment of several of their surrounding enemies even. And they were beginning to have these same kinds of troubles again. And Israel then needed to be called to action. And they needed to be given hope in the struggle against their own sin and against the enemies that were around them. And so this passage here is from Zechariah chapter 9. And it's part of a larger prophecy 
concerning the king of Israel that would, that would be coming. And so I encourage you now to turn to Zechariah with me, and let's look at this. Zechariah is towards the end of the Old Testament. And Zechariah is a book that's full of very interesting prophecies and very uh, visual images that you see, a lot of which you see again in the New Testament and Revelation. But here we have this very plain prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, starting in verse 9. I'm just going to read through this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut, battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore you to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow, and I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like the warrior's sword. And it goes on, and it goes on, to talk about what the Lord is going to do to his enemies. We could spend a ton of time here as well. But to sum it up, the Lord is going to deliver his people through this coming king. He will be a conqueror. And at the right time, he will crush his enemies with the sword. But he is going to come in Riding on a colt, which is like a baby donkey. So consider this picture now. The Lord Jesus, the creator of all things, riding into Jerusalem, where he knows the people are going to kill him, riding in on a donkey's foal. And to really get this image, the donkeys that they rode there in Palestine in that time were much shorter than what we have here. You know, you can kind of picture a donkey out in the field. And they had these little, little shorter donkeys. And so Jesus was even on a young version of that. And so grown men would actually have to bend their knees so that they wouldn't drag the ground, so that their feet wouldn't drag the ground when they were riding these things. So here Jesus is riding on this young donkey, likely riding around at a similar height that he probably would have stood at, or even lower. And as the coats... He has all these coats of his disciples on the donkey as like a makeshift saddle. And as he rides into town, he's trampling the coats of the people as they laid him at his feet as kind of this sign of surrender. So why would the Lord of glory, we read from this morning, the King of glory has come in the gates and he alone can open the gates. And so why would the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, enter the gates in such a humble way? First, it fulfills this prophecy from Zechariah, obviously, which Jesus meant to do. But it also shows us the character of Jesus as a humble man. And also the work that he was coming to do. He was coming to make a sacrifice. He was coming to be the sacrifice 
for his people. And so you can imagine what if he rides in on a large war horse, which sure he could have done. It gives him the image of some kind of military force and might, a victory that would come at whose hands? His own? Is he going to go 1v 50,000 Roman soldiers? No, it's, it, the victory would come at the hands of his people if he was a military leader, right? However, he rides in on the lowliest of mounts because in his humility, it's he that will do the fighting for his people. The road that he travels on takes him right into the mouth of the beast, right into the fire to die so that his people might be saved. And so note, what are we given as the first words in this prophecy as the king rides into city to the city to die? Think about it. If your king is riding into the city and he's yours and you know he's coming to save you, but he's coming to die, that seems kind of anticlimactic, doesn't it? However, what are we told to do? Fear not. Fear not. Though there is much to fear, fear not. And so imagine reading this as a first or second century believer. You have many around you that are dying to Roman persecution of the church. People are actually dying, not just being made fun of, but actually getting their heads cut off for their faith, and you get to this passage here in the book of John, which is being circulated to all the churches, and this reads very much like a Roman victory processional. However, it's your Lord riding in to die, and we are told by the Apostle John to fear not because our Lord is coming riding in on a donkey's colt. Think about it for a minute. Aren't there times that we would just rather him ride in on a tank and blast our enemies and destroy those things that would get us down? Don't you think the Christians there would have loved to have seen Jesus ride in on like an aircraft carrier and just blow everybody up? Wouldn't that have been nice? I mean, there are many times when I would like to see that. Wouldn't we all? And so I think we can also understand the indifference of the Hebrew people back in Zechariah's time when it came to rebuilding the temple. Why did they stop building the temple? They had just been delivered from Babylon, but yet their enemies still continue to assail them. Their enemies still continue to pound at the gates. They have this really big job ahead of them in rebuilding the cities and rebuilding the temple, yet they're continuing to be attacked and so sometimes this fear of the unknown and this fear of the known enemies even can easily drive us to this state of indifference. And I think particularly for us in Christ, I know for me anyway, we know that we're saved. We know that we have this eternal life with Jesus. Nothing can take that away. And we look at the world a lot of times as this passing phase, which it is. Sure enough. And there is something, there is some kind of comfort in that to be sure. However, our fear of the enemy has oftentimes driven us to forsake our mission. 
I'm afraid. And if our Lord were to ride in on some kind of B-17 bomber, it's like my favorite plane, that we might be able to get behind him and ride into victory, right? That'd be awesome. But because he only rode in on a donkey's colt, we sometimes feel better just to hide in our homes until the light comes back on outside and we can come out. Maybe till he picks us up. And that's going to be a glorious day. But we need to fear not. Because, brothers and sisters, it's because Jesus rode in on a donkey's colt that we have eternal life. And it's for the same reason that we can say and listen to and be instructed by these words, fear not. These men and women in Jerusalem ran out to this procession with palms in their hand and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They shouted that because they knew that victory was at hand. This is from Psalm 118, and we read this a few weeks ago, but I think it's good for us to look at that again. Let's look at Psalm 118. And again, it's, it's really important for us to see these connections throughout the Psalms, throughout the Old Testament. These are all about Jesus. They're all coming to this culmination in Jesus. The victory that the Old Testament saints looked forward to is now happening. And so Psalm 118, starting at verse 19, and I love this. How does it open up? Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me, that you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. In the Hebrew, that's literally Hosanna. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so the king who rides into town to die is also the one who made that day, the one who made this day, and all the ones in between. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us set off this fear that besets us. And think about it. We have a lot to be afraid of. Morality is totally subjective nowadays. Our country's election, which is at hand and is in front of us, is literally like the stuff of comic books. The world leaders hate each other while their people fight their wars. And all the while, our Lord sits on the throne. We are a moment away, personally, from a terrible phone call, or from an accident, or our own health failing. Yet all the while, the Lord sits on the throne. And so when we are afraid, let us voice the prayer that we have here. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
He has saved us, but we regularly need this reminder. We need not live in fear. And we must not let that fear drive us to complacency. Because this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. And I think it's important for us to show here that the disciples even, not that the disciples were the cleverest bunch, but they didn't get it at first. And like much of what they saw that Jesus was doing, they didn't get it while he was still around. We see that in verse 16. But they remembered this. They looked back when Jesus had been glorified, when the Spirit reminded them and taught them again concerning these things. And they, and they taught us through the pages of the New Testament. And so again, I think it's a reminder for us that we won't always understand whatever situation it is that we're in. But we are being shown things more and more through the pages of Scripture. And so the Lord continues to speak through His people, or to His people, through the Word. And we do well to listen. And so the next point then is the futility of the opposition. Remember, from last week, the Pharisees are plotting the death of Jesus, and now even Lazarus. And we're given some insight into that here. The crowd is gathering because of what they saw in that little village of Bethany and what they had heard concerning that event. And remember, many believed because of what they saw, and many more even would believe because of what they were witnessing here on the streets. And of course, this just incensed the enemies of Jesus. In verse 19, you kind of have a culmination of this anger. You get this statement from the Pharisees that is just this massive hyperbole. That it's almost like the Pharisees are just kind of throwing their hands up in the air. You see this even more in Luke 19, in, in Luke's uh, account of this story. Because the Pharisees, they kind of, they're just upset that everyone's so loud. And they go to Jesus and they tell his followers, they said, Jesus, tell your followers to be quiet. And he says, if they're quiet, even the stones will cry out. Why? Because all of creation worships its, its creator. And he is meant to be worshipped. And he desires all the glory. And so the Pharisees, they just kind of throw their hands up and they say, you see, you are gaining nothing. The world has gone after him. Now again, obvious hyperbole. But you understand, we often exaggerate when we're frustrated. Jesus' ministry and his mission continues on Despite the attempts to arrest him, despite the attempts on his life, he continues on and his followers grow. Just like when Pharaoh, it reminds me of, that, of the book in the Exodus, when Pharaoh tried to snuff out the people of God in, in that book. What does it say of them? They grew stronger. Now the people of the Lord are growing in number. Not only the Jews here in this story, it's not only Jews that are there, and we're going to see this next week. It's Gentiles. It's people from every nation that are seeing the Lord and that are being saved, that are believing. No matter what plan the opposition sets, the people of God will prevail because God prevails. And so let this encourage us. We cannot be prevailed upon. The gates of hell will not stand up to us. This should encourage us in our ministries. And I think particularly for us here at this church, at Redeemer, we have a small group, and it might be easy for us to look around, see what other churches are doing, be jealous, maybe be wondering, why isn't God doing the same thing here? 
And it might be easy for us to get down. But again, what does this have its roots in? Fear. And what does it lead to? Complacency. And that would be really easy for us to do. So we have to be careful. Because what is this text telling us to do? Fear not. Our Lord is doing a work even now that the enemy can only throw up their hands and just say, the world has gone after him. And of course we know that the whole world isn't going after Jesus. In fact, it may oftentimes seem the opposite. However, what does our Lord tell us? We know that there are those out there that are his, that are his sheep. And there are those out there from the beginning of time that he has called to be his. And what do they need? They need to hear the gospel preached. That is why we should be encouraged to preach the gospel, to teach the words of Scripture, to love our neighbors more than we love ourselves and our own comfort. We should look for ways to bring the gospel message to the people of Murray because there are many people out there right now that are looking for that kind of Savior. But there's only one, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in conclusion, brothers and sisters, let us do that. Our King of glory, Jesus Christ, came and lived on this earth, the sinless life, that we might have forgiveness. And he rose from the dead that we might have life. And so let us take the life that we have and be called to action. Let us not grow complacent as we see the world around us. Let us not be motivated by fear, but by the love of Christ that compels us because we know the truth. So let us be encouraged in our own faith and let that overflow and be a blessing to others. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, help us to that end. You are the hero that has come on the scene. You are the one who will save us and has saved us. You are the one that will save all of your people. And so, Lord, help us to be about that mission, to be about bringing in those who are yours, to preaching the gospel to everyone, to all the nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.